open up your books, you bad apples. You know, I actually, uh, as I re-listened to, I think it must have been part five of the Crime and Punishment series, our best series up to this point by far, if I may say so myself. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, you mentioned at the funeral that um, Katarina's German landlady said that her father was a burgermeister, mm-hmm. and I'll I'll listen to, I'll listen to the episodes, and I'll like. I won't remember what I say to what you read off, but I'll think it and then I will <laughs> say it. And I'm really sad that I didn't make a a cute little joke about how Burgermeister is like uh, the new fast food joint that opened up in town a few months ago. <laughs> Wait, near you? It sounds, like a pla- it sounds like a place to get a delicious hamburger. Oh, yeah, I just got to run to the Burgermeister real quick. <laughs> so that actually really confused me when I first got here because I live in a village of like uh, 500 people, so pretty reminiscent of uh, home. But um, there, there's a city hall. I didn't know this at the time, but it was called like the, the Burger Hall. Now, that is basically like the mayor's office. But I was like, oh, cool. There's just like a burger restaurant like two blocks from me. <laughs> <laughs> the burger hall. What is uh, Meister? So one of them just means like mayor. And then one of them means like citizen. So I think I think burger is like citizen. And then Meister is like maybe the mayor position. I believe this is my level two, almost level three Duolingo kicking in. So I am glad that it's going well for you. Yeah. But speaking of new languages, um, there's a fun little language in in this guy that we're covering, right? It, It is. Like nothing I have ever read in my entire life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I am your host, Lucas Nord. And I am your host, Cole Lang. And we are Cole. I mean, after six weeks, seven with the discussion episode we've recorded previously of Crime and Punishment, we are covering our second series our second book and our second series, should I say. And let me just say, I am very excited. Let me just say, oh, my brothers. Oh, my brothers. Um, If anyone out there listening cannot read the title, maybe that's why they're <laughs> listening to the podcast in the first place, because they just can't read. Our second book we'll be covering will be A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess. Burgess. Obviously adapted into one of the most famous movies of all time by Stanley Kubrick. And um, let me just say up front, I am very excited to talk about this book. This will be... No, this was just a fun read. It is a dark comedy. Um, Yeah, like you were mentioning, the movie is pretty much the reason for the book's success. But... They're both pretty good, in my opinion. I wonder, I was just thinking about that the other day, because everyone knows the movie, but I wonder how an author feels, because, you know, anybody that's done two minutes of research on The Shining knows that 
Stephen King hates the movie. Oh, well, I personally, I really enjoyed the book and the movie myself. But um, I kind of wonder how someone like Anthony Burgess feels when I don't know. Can you really say that the movie steals all the thunder? I'm sure plenty of people don't even know that the book is based on a movie. Well, um, the other way around. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sure most people are more familiar with the movie, but yeah, we'll we'll be diving into it in uh, w- once we talk about him some more. But this will be a three part series. The book is a lot shorter than Crime and Punishment, and I would say that it's an easy read. But I have anyone make an eye contact with me. I've read passages of this book too, and every time they're like, "I have no idea what you're saying right now." <laughs> it's so all about really context know- clues. Exactly, honestly. Um, but Cole, did you maybe want to give us a little a little information on our dear sweet author, Anthony Burgess, before we dove in here? Yes, of course. He he's a ve- he lived a very interesting life and it was actually pretty fun um researching him. So yeah. John well, this is a, something that threw me off. His birth name is John Burgess. So we'll we'll get into why he changed his name to Anthony later. We all know that Anthony is derivative of John in the first place, though. So I'm not really sure that we have to get into why. You know, it's like how you call it's like how you call William Bill, John <laughs> Anthony. It's the same thing. John Anthony, man. Yeah. <laughs> the I, point I, of shortening I, up a name is to add syllables. I'm more familiar with Tony, but you know, <laughs> John, Johnny works just as well. Yes, it does. Johnny Burgess. Uh, yes. So John Bur- Burgess was a man of many talents. He actually wanted to be remembered as a composer the most, and but his writings are more famous. And he was also a broadcaster. He was born on February 25th, 1917, and he grew up in a middle-class family during the Great Depression, and he lived in Britain at the time. His mother died in 1918 from the Spanish flu, And yeah, so he didn't even really know his mom. His sister died like four days earlier from influenza, a very rocky start and very unfortunate. Yeah, not not fun. And his father, which is even more unfortunate, but he kind of blamed Anthony or John for you know, he he did not. It was like uh, the what, what's the movie, the Walk Hard movie, Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox, where the father hated him because his favorite son died, and I, the other guy I, was the one who lived. But obviously, it's based on Johnny Cash himself. I never saw that movie before, but oh. uh, but what I did immediately think of was. Uh, Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, that, that's actually a very, pretty good analogy. And well, of course it is. Look who made it. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to compliment me uh, compliment <laughs> you anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, so he kind of, res- his father just resented him his whole life because of this, just like a Tyrion Lannister or a Johnny Cash or a 
uh, Dewey Cox, whatever. Okay, now, I don't want to get too off track here, but is that what happened to Johnny Cash, too? Yes. Yeah, his his uh, brother died, and but his, uh, his brother was um, his father's favorite, and his dad just wasn't a fan of Johnny Cash. Wow. Yeah. Alrighty, back to John Burgess. Yes. At, at school, he was picked on a lot just because he was able to read. He could read very well, and wow. he also played the violin and piano well. And like I was saying earlier, he wanted to be a composer. But Gifted child. Yeah, yeah. Very artistic, and his parents just, anything that was artistic, they're like, there's no money in it. So he decided to go to university, and he got a degree in literature. He joined the British Army during World War II, and he wasn't really well-liked during that time. He knocked off a hat of his superior officers. Like, he'd just be going down the aisle, and, like, his superior officer would be there and he would knock off their hats which i would never do in my life that it you would be in big trouble uh, yeah and he went awol absent without leave with his future wife for some time and they're just chilling in some place in spain or france i believe and during the london blitz so this was the time where the Nazis were bombing the shit out of London. His future pregnant wife was in like the lockdown, like underground, and she was beaten and raped by four American military deserters. So yeah, pretty, pretty nasty stuff. And I'm not going to say that this stuff doesn't happen today. I mean, we still have a pretty bad reputation throughout the world for some of these dirtbags that do these heinous acts. Mm -hmm. But without this, we would not have the book Clockwork Orange because this is what inspired ultraviolence, a term that he coined, and it is in multiple things in uh, culture today, like a uh, game setting on the game Doom, which is kind oh, of interesting. Seriously? Yeah, there's ultra violence and it's just it's the hardest difficulty. Wow. So yeah, and I just picked that up and I was like, huh, ultra violence. So yeah, that's where that came from was a clockwork orange. So during his time in the military service and the colonial service, so the colonial service was like obviously Britain had different colonies throughout the world and they had different administrations within that. And he was like a teacher um, for the colonial service. He saw many different governments that inspired the one in Clockwork Orange. It doesn't specify, like, it's kind of ambiguous what government is in Clockwork Orange. Sure. But we do know it's an authoritarian government. And he saw everything from Stalinist Russia to different types of... Um, fascism throughout his career and during this time he started to write fiction under the name Anthony Bur Burgess because his he was within this writing circle and his superiors basically 
didn't want him to write fiction. So he's like, oh, I'll write it under Anthony instead. And that way they won't really know it's me kind of thing. And it is, you know, I guess I'm just going to say this without any other research on my own <laughs> side, but it is without a doubt. It's probably his like most well-known work. Yes. And uh, we'll get into it, but he isn't happy that it is his most known work. He hey, thinks man. he's written uh, other b- better things and there's some other things that led to it, but. Maybe I'll read some of it one day, but you talking about that makes me think of Stan Lee when he started doing his comic thing. You know, his actual name is Stan Lieberman, I think. And Mm -hmm. he just did the Stan Lee thing because he's like, oh, this will never go anywhere, but I'll just use like a name that, you know, isn't my actual one. And then sure enough, if you say, you know, Stan Lieberman, the comic book guy, people will be like, who are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it a backfire, but I guess you could if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a very common thing within the writing world. J.K. Rowling, you know, she she did that because she didn't want people to know that she was a girl. So really? I, yeah. Yeah. Or if you ever watched BoJack Horseman, um, they get J.D. Salinger. Well, they have him as a character, even though... Was that The Great Gatsby? That was J.D. Salinger, right? No, that was Catch-22, I think. No, not Catch-22. Wow, how embarrassing. I'm pretty sure it was actually Catcher in the Rye. Okay. I just got to, I'm going to look it up here just to be, okay, yeah. So they have J.D. Salinger as a character in BoJack Horseman, and all he uh, all he talks about is how people don't know him for anything other than The Catcher in the Rye. So they're like, oh, my God, I love your work. And he's like, <laughs> other than Catcher in the Rye. And they're like, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of immediately what I think of. Um, huh. Was there any more John slash Anthony Burgess backstory to get into before we get down to Tass Brax? Yes. So he was diagnosed with a brain tumor during his time in the service and he returned to England and the doctors were like, yeah, you only have a year to live. So he's like, I need to be known in this world, which can't blame the guy, you know? Sure. And leave your mark. Yeah. So he wrote multiple works during this time to provide for his wife just to find out that he was misdiagnosed. Wow. And his life expectancy was much longer. But so he didn't even have the ailment. No, or no, it was he did less not. severe than they thought. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I believe he did not have whatever they diagnosed him with. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and during this time, or I think it might have been slightly after he wrote *A Clockwork Orange*. But so uh, once he returned to England, the landscape has completely changed from the time that he left. Youth culture was introduced to rock music, milk bars. I I didn't know they were a thing, but... No way. Yeah, they they were a thing. Yes, yeah, and uh, not anymore. I think there's only like one or two left in England. But yeah, they were a thing that popped up during this time. And there were gangs that were 
becoming popular. One of them was called the Teddy Gang. Have you ever heard of them? Or the Teddy Boys? Never once. Okay, so it's actually really interesting because they're almost like a precursor to rock or a precursor to punk, and but they were pretty racist and they actually if you look up like teddy boy fashion the beatles are pretty much the the way they dressed before they blew up they got it directly from the teddy boys the suits and bowl cuts yes exactly the the stuff you see them uh wearing at like these high school proms whatever that was teddy boy fashion and huh even though I'm pretty sure the Teddy Boys hated them, but because the Teddy Boys, they had like the stereotypical like um, like knife in their shoes and they did cause a lot of problems in England during this time. And all, all of these different uh, culture changes and arrival and, and like new styles and new music was exaggerated into the creation of A Clockwork Orange. Wow. So, yeah, very interesting. So, like we were mentioning earlier, the film is a little bit known, but it it is hard to talk about the success of the book without mentioning the movie adaptation by Stanley Kubrick. Of course. The the success of the controversial film made his book very well known. Despite this, Burgess was not satisfied due to the film adapting the American version of the book. Now, if you did not know this, the American version cuts out the 21st chapter, and this only happened in America. And we'll discuss more of that later. Yes, but the American publisher at the time was, he thought the 21st chapter was too, he just basically thought that it wouldn't sit well with the American audience, because during this time, we were... Going into Vietnam, it, the U.S. was cynical, but we'll we'll get into that in part three. When, once the film was released, Burgess was very blindsided because he he was a little known author, like he was known, but he wasn't popular. But the movie came out, and as we know, it's very controversial, and everyone started accusing him of glorifying rape and violence. And this was not his intent with the book at all. It haunted him for for the rest of his life. Like he put that in his biography. Like he's like, yeah, that made my life hell. So, and then the only profit from the film was the initial five hundred dollars that bought the rights for the adaptation. Ouch. So yeah, he was not feeling the film the time, and but I'm sure like his book sales increased a lot but yeah it's just like five hundred dollars uh yep it's pretty rough that movie probably made a decent handful of money oh yeah yeah so burgess or burgess continued to write throughout his life and even when he was diagnosed with lung cancer he Still claimed A Clockwork Orange was one of his most bland works. I think he wrote it. He claimed he wrote it in three weeks. And he even said, quote, I should have never written the book because of the danger of the misinterpretation, end quote. That's unfortunate. 
Yeah. And he also said, quote, I wish people would think of me as a musician who writes novels instead of a novelist who writes music on the side, end quote. So he wished his music career took off. But, you know, I mean, it's still a great accomplishment to be a, a, a renowned writer. Of so, course. Absolutely. But he eventually did pass away on 11-22-93, the 30th anniversary of JFK's assassination. Um, <laughs> I just know that from the book 11-22-63 on my bookshelf by Stephen King. I smell Very like fun. conspiracy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something's fishy here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my brother's. But yeah, so he did die from lung cancer, and despite his dissatisfaction with his writings, he is remembered as one of the UK's best writers, and A Clockwork Orange has showed up multiple times in the top 100 books of the 1900s, and that is Anthony Burgess's life. A nice short rundown, top to bottom. I wanted to actually say, too, before we get into the book here, we're going to, I, I know that we like to make jokes here and there and have, have a little bit of fun on the show. Not too much fun. I mm-hmm. hate to have too much fun. But in a completely serious note, before we get into this, we are going to be discussing some very rough topics. Rape is brought up in this book Multiple quite times. a few times. And it is, you know, it's done by the narrator. And we'll learn that. Unlike Raskolnikov, where I I have a lot of sympathy for Raskolnikov because I feel like I can somewhat understand his plight, I think we'll learn that um, the narrator of A Clockwork Orange, Alex, is much less redeemable. We'll obviously get into all that, but... um, He does some very heinous acts. If anybody would be uncomfortable listening to that, I just wanted to give a sort of... uh, you know, warning before we get into it, that it is going to be discussed. We won't be making any jokes about it. I don't think that there is any humor and human misery as a whole. So I just wanted to get that out of the way before we uh, potentially blindsided someone listening, I suppose. Yes. um, And even if you can handle these subjects, just know that, I mean, this is... This is definitely the most violent uh, book I've read. And just, you know, some people can misinterpret it into being something like glorifying it. I, I, don't, I personally don't think that's the case here. but Absolutely not. But some people feel that way. And honestly, I cannot blame them. It's just how you feel on the subject. It's a very touchy subject. So... Of course. So, yeah, we just wanted to get that um, out of the way before we dug in here. Yes. What do you say? We uh, get this thing started? Get to chapter one, part one of A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess. Yes, sir. Um, The book starts off by introducing us to our young narrator, Alex, spending a night in a quote-unquote Karova milk bar with his droogies, Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And um, droog is Russian for friend. And there's a rapper I I like listening to quite a bit named Your Old Droog, which, uh, you know, is kind of fun. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, like, Droog is probably... It could probably be like, oh, just me and, me and the boys, too. Like, equivalent of that. In this oh, sense. sure. Yeah. Not yeah. quite so literal. No, no. Just like, me and the boys, hanging out at the milk bar. Yep. They sit around drinking what they call knives, and they're trying to figure out their exploits for the evening. They're all drinking the same basic cocktail, but Alex observes someone nearby mixing their milk with a hallucinogen that leaves the drinker like completely disaffected or however you'd say that and just staring off in the same spot for hours and hours completely out of body almost just not feeling anything while they um drink it and he doesn't have a very high opinion of someone doing this for some reason he really doesn't like this guy yeah he's very judgmental leaving the bar the boys find a man walking the street carrying some books uh after toying with the nervous man a bit they take the books away and i thought it was kind of interesting that i don't know if this is like true to the world burgess was growing up in but alex like notes that all the books were well made like back in the day like they actually built stuff to last back then so i'm not sure if that's kind of giving us a little hint at the world he's growing up in but he's saying that the books were actually like built to last you know what i mean yeah yeah i get that and And probably had a lot of value to this man as well right and so they uh beat the man and humiliate him and um, I just want to say, if we were going to be any character in this book, it would probably be this guy just minding our own business with the books. And then he's just got a couple of books and then they um, they strip him down and take all his money and they just tear the books up in front of this guy's eyes, which is just technically kind of tame for <laughs> what we're going to, to get come. to. Yeah. Yep. Um, And thank God, because this would be us. Yeah, we got the best treatment. Yep. They (laughs) find their way to a different hangout called the Duke of New York, and they spend all the money that they just stole from the guy on a group of babuchkas, which is uh, like, once again, a Russian translation for like your gran or, you know, your sweet dear Grammy. Um, They buy him drinks and snacks. And they don't really tell you why they do that, but the boys buy them around and get them some pretzels or whatever, and then they split. They go to a convenience store and hospitalize both of the owners in the process. And one of the very interesting things that stood out to me when I was reading this was that, like, obviously Alex's narrating style is very flowery for the things that he's doing, so... One of the notes I have written here is that he mm-hmm. refers to beating one of the owners of the convenience store as giving them a quote unquote gentle tap with the crowbar, letting the red come out like an old friend, which um we'll just see over and over again, you know. It's and just probably wasn't that gentle of a tap if it... Well, yeah. <sighs> it's just it's kind of um crazy to i guess see the world through the eyes of once again this heinous person that is committing these acts um yes oh i was just gonna say the way he describes all of his violence he's very passionate about it he's very 
creative in the way he describes it. Um, I just don't, I don't know if that's his language or just his passion for it, but yes, it's very visual. So they loot the register and make, make their way back to the Duke and buy all the babuchkas another round reminding the ladies that they hadn't left the bar kind of doing the thing like if anyone comes around asking we were sitting here the whole entire time which shows you what their um initial idea was when they'd been to the bar before going and you know lucas i thought they were trying to be good people no 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 (laughs) nope these these boys unfortunately don't have a whole lot of redeeming characteristics. Dang it. Um, the police show up and question the boys who are backed up by the group of ladies and the babuchkas say that uh, the boys hadn't left their site since they ever got there and they keep saying things like, oh, such good boys. God bless you boys. These are just <laughs> the best boys ever. The best boys. That's what anybody at our hometown bar would say about us, I'm sure. We're kind of just dropped right into not quite so much the middle of this story because nothing too large has happened yet, but we're immediately shown just what a normal night is for these guys. You know what I mean? But not normal for anybody else in society. But yes, we'll we'll find out. They, you know, talk about how the night is still young and the quartet set off to wreak more havoc, this time finding their vent in the form of an old singing drunk on the street. When I watched the movie, actually, it's been a handful of years, but this, uh, just to show how memorable the whole thing is, this uh, scene is still fresh in my memory. Yeah, the this is um probably a scene that stands out to me the most from when I first seen it. Cause when I first saw the movie, I thought it was the weirdest movie in the world. Yes. Um, one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. And yes, this is the scene where they're under the, they're like in this tunnel and there's this hobo just singing and they, they find the old drunk man singing on the street and the, uh, the song he's singing goes, and I will go back to my darling, my darling, when you, my darling, are gone. So oh, wow. he's probably already a little down in the dumps in the first place. Yeah. Um, the boys proceed to give the man a few quote-unquote horror show tolchocks, which is pretty much, you know, he refers to a lot of things as horror show, which to him is a good thing, even though it doesn't sound like a very good thing. And tolchocks is just, you know, beatings or fist punches or whatever. And... Mm-hmm. um. The man just continues to sing, Oh, dear, dear land, I fought for thee and brought thee peace and victory. So you kind of wonder if this guy's actually speaking from a past experience, if maybe fought in a war or something like that, or yeah, like a personal point of view, maybe something Um, like that. Yeah. The man starts a monologue about the state of the world, uh, which actually interests Alex and. He calls off his droogs from beating this poor guy Mm -hmm. uh, and asks him to continue. And the old man talks about how things are no longer made for the old with the young like scallywags being Alex and his boys uh, preying upon the weak and feeble like they're doing. This guy is just minding his own business, obviously just uh, in a bad way in the first place if he's getting drunk out in public and 
they just relentlessly beat the man for absolutely no reason, you know? Yeah, and they also mention in the book that he's not just talking about Alex's gang. There, There's multiple right. young gangs that are just wrecking havoc, and obviously this is a callback to Burgess's experience with his return to Britain and uh, him seeing the gang violence that was coming up. And of course, not even just specifically referring to the gang violence, I would assume he's probably also just talking about the natural evolution of man where like, you know, your grandma doesn't know how to work an iPhone just because things have changed so much since she was younger and how, like he's saying, you know, the world is uh, made for the young. And I suppose the young make the world when you think about it, too, you know? Yeah, I guess you're speaking for yourself, man. My grandma, she knows her way all around uh, iPad and iPhones. You know what? Uh, No, she actually doesn't. She doesn't have internet, which is, I think she's the only person I know that doesn't have internet. And she does puzzles and like Sudoku a lot, which I'll give her credit, you know, Keep, keep the mind busy. Now, I will say, too, that I was specifically throwing that out there. Not referencing myself personally because uh, <laughs> my grandma has an iPhone and okay. she loved that thing. And oh, she yeah. also listens to the podcast. So, uh, hello, grandma. Uh, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. The old man tells them to continue their beating if they please, as he is too drunk to feel any pain and too worthless to care if he dies. Once again, uh, obviously, the guy is in a bad way, but that's just heart-wrenching even for someone that we've only known for a couple pages you know what i mean yeah they just, obviously there's no real reason for violence but then these guys are just going out to do this for the specific sake of violence you know yeah. what i mean and it's just kind of like crime and punishment too where it's like boom you're hitting the face with like what kind of character this is like these guys let you know well within the first chapter or the second chapter that yeah they love violence and with the with one of the worst scenes they introduce themselves yes the beating continues until the man vomits and afterwards he starts leaking blood from his rot which is once again how they write the word mouth many times in the book and i'm not sure about you but my copy actually had a like dictionary in the back for the I mean, every word that he says throughout the whole book. No, I did not. Um, But I was actually reading up on this, like um, if it's better to learn the definitions or just kind of use context clues throughout the book. Context clues. Yeah. And I think context clues, because like I didn't know what he meant by rot within the first two chapters, but by the uh, 10th chapter, He's used it probably like 50 times. So that, that was enough for it. me. Yeah. I, you know, for all these words, it took about 50 times for me to recognize them. But I, I do now. So it makes for very interesting reading. It does. It's a very um, fun way to read. So after they're done with the old man, they continue their walk and stumble upon another gang run by someone who Alex knows called Billy Boy. Uh, the gang made up of six men compared to Alex and his three comrades, you know, 
just the four of them are in the middle of once again they're about to rape a young woman and one billy boy and his gang get eyes on alex she fortunately gets to run off because the gang lets their guard down you know you might think that they're kind of outnumbered but at this point alex uh notes that dim is worth three men because as we get to know he's pretty much just like a bull and you know he's also called dim because he's not the brightest uh, uh not the brightest bulb yeah and he he's probably the character of besides alex that sticks out the most to me i think so yeah. georgie and paul are pretty easy to get mixed up but you know we'll we'll get it all down to that later um yeah. a brawl ensues between the droogs and billy boys gang you know like alex just said dim is worth three men so they have the upper hand technically uh, and police sirens are heard in the distance, so everyone just scatters. Yeah. Um, ducking into an alleyway, the group gains their collective breath, and Alex notes that every TV is showing a quote-unquote world cast, which this... is a program being shown on every TV in every house at the same time. So this is the part that introduces you to what kind of society they live in, basically, and it's pretty obvious that this is like a state-run television, similar to like a North Korean tele- telecast or whatever. And yeah, so the government um, controls what everyone watches. You and, see what you're supposed to see. And nothing else. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, Alex notes that Dim has a strange fascination <laughs> with the sky, and he kind of wonders if life exists elsewhere. And Alex <laughs> is like annoyed by this for some reason that his boy is like amazed by the idea of life elsewhere and uh he says there is life likely beyond the stars with uh, his quote is people knifed and people doing the knifing which i guess all he really thinks about is just (laughs) violent acts or something like that i thought that that was just an interesting quote yeah knifed and people doing the knifing yeah, and that was Alex. Just like anywhere else. That was Alex that said that, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, but I, I thought that was like interesting too. Like, yeah, here's just Dim, like thinking Taking some in pretty, the wonder. yeah, just kind of really wondering about life. And then Alex is like, "Why aren't you thinking about knives?" But yeah, we'll see that none of these, none of these boys are innocent. But this is kind of a specifically innocent moment. Especially for him to be, like, getting worked up about. Um, Yeah. They make their way to a cinema where they steal a quote-unquote newish Durango 95, which, does that maybe tell you what year the book is supposed to take place in? Because it's kind of hard to imagine the book without thinking of the movie, but being, like, futuristic dystopian... I suppose 95 would be the future from 62, you know? Yeah, I want to say so. I had the same thought, but I just don't know. Like, there's no... All I know is that it's post-World War II, and I'm not sure what time period it is. There's Sure. No- I, it makes sense that it would be, you know, ominous for the sake of being ominous. Yeah, like, a lot that. of the setting is up for interpretation. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um... They drive to the country or to a countryside home 
for an invasion and assault of the occupants. The house has a sign right out of it that just says home on it, which is, once again, normal enough. Um, Mm. Alex refers to the act they're about to commit as, quote-unquote, the old surprise visit, which, once again, you shouldn't be surprised to be aware that these guys get into this stuff often enough, but just to know that he has like a phrase for it and that it's just another Tuesday night is just very unsettling to know. Yeah, it, it's the ultra violent equivalent of like you and the boys. Well, I guess like me and you going longboarding in, in uh, our hometown and this is like their their version of that, just hanging out. But instead of longboarding in the church parking lot, they are doing much more heinous acts, even though people did get offended that there were some (laughs) some punks skating in their parking lot. So but it it is nice. It was a nice parking lot. So and you expect us not to use it. Come on now. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Finding the house with the sign outside of it, Alex knocks on the door and gets the attention of a woman living in the house. And uh, he asks her if he can use her phone to and get a drink of water for his friend who, quote unquote, is dead out and groaning in the street, <laughs> which is just, uh, well, yeah, he's saying that one of his buddies keeled over for some reason outside and he just uh, he's putting on his sweetest, most childlike voice and just asking for a small favor. Um, yeah and it's uh totally normal just saying yeah my friend is dying out here you gotta help him Um, can i get a glass of water and a phone please yes so Um, but yeah like you mentioned he does it in a very convincing way yep once again he just must be used to doing this kind of thing by now having a phrase he probably has the same line every time oh Um, yeah this isn't the last time we'll see him do this After telling Alex that they don't own a phone, the woman lets her guard down and leaves to get a glass of water. And Alex takes advantage of a situation by slipping the chain off the door and letting himself and his boys in. And they're all wearing their maskies, as Alex calls it, to obviously hide their identity. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of them was like an Elvis mask. And like some other figures of pulp or pop culture. Right. Once again, being compared to, you know, in the Kubrick movie, they just have like the big, crazy Pinocchio noses and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which once again, he had a vision for it, obviously. Um, Oh, he always has a vision. Yeah. Alex and Dim find the husband picking up a manuscript of the uh, of the book the man is working on. The book is called The Clockwork Orange, which, what? if you weren't aware, is the name of the book that we're talking about right now. Oh, uh, thank you, Lucas. Thank you. I love Just, it. You know, this is the tidbits case, you get from listening to this podcast. This is where the hour of research goes into. Yeah. Just think about it. Think about it. The book is called The Clockwork Orange, and he's writing and, a book called The Clockwork Orange. Have you thought about it? I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> But I believe in the movie, it doesn't even mention or show that this manuscript, it shows the guy writing, but it doesn't show that Clockwork Orange is his work. It does seem, I don't know that I want to call it a little on the nose, but it is very 
Wes Craven's new nightmare, which, okay, you know what? I just got to talk about it real quick. That's uh, the, I believe, seventh movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And the whole movie is about the main actress in the first movie, like being haunted by Freddy Krueger in real life. And mm. you learn that like Wes Craven, who directed the movie, plays himself in the movie and you learn at the end that um he's making a movie but he is making new nightmare which is the movie that you like just watched oh that's which, kind of you know, fun that's kind of what i think of immediately yeah paul and georgie go to raid the pantry while dim and alex are just hassling this guy and the man demands that they uh they leave him and his wife in peace and Alex picks up the transcript of A Clockwork Orange and rips it to pieces. Uh, that'd be the, like the equivalent of us writing these outlines and then like someone just like wiping Some... it from our hard drive. Like that'd be devastating. That would be the equivalent of us writing these outlines and someone ripping my computer to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> the paper thin. I got that new Apple MacBook. <laughs> yeah, we can yeah, rip I, it. I suppose it would take a little work. Uh, um, yeah. Dim beats the man while his wife watches horrified and Alex notes that her screams go to the rhythm of Dim's punches, which is Uh, just, we find that he's like a very musical or he's like a fan of Sebastian Bach, but um, he apparently just hears that kind of stuff out in the wild too. And it's really a horrific observation. Um, Yeah. At this point, Georgie and Paul enter the room laughing and they're treating themselves to the spoils they found in the kitchen, which discuss Alex once again. You kind of get to get a feeling that he doesn't even like these guys too much. No, but he I, probably needs some muscle for the stuff he wants to get into. Yeah, he he's very specific about what he came here to do. And like anytime they sidetrack, it seems he gets very angry. Anything that's not violence or rape, he uh, gets very angry. The group of the four of them rape the writer's wife and just tear the house to pieces just short of dim taking a crap on the carpet on the way out he wants to really like uh put the cherry on top yeah honestly i didn't want to say anything (laughs) too like i didn't want to say anything too bad there because it's a pretty intense scene but i guess he just wants to put a bow on it yeah Pretty, and uh, pretty nasty. Alex orders his droog, his droogs into the car, and uh, they set back out into the night. Uh, th- this is the vision that Anthony Burgess probably had of himself being the man writing the manuscript. And then Alex, Georgie, Dim, and Paul are like the Americans that raped his wife. Like, this is Very kind horrific. of him calling back to that point of his life and the gang takes a train back to town paying their fare but uh they vandalize the inside of the train car on their way um and they head back to the milk bar alex notices the same guy from earlier sitting in the same spot still zoned out he hasn't moved an inch the entire time Uh. And then and they're like, we, we've had a hell of a night. Like, and I, this guy's just I, been doing nothing. I can't remember if it happened earlier 
or if it happens later, but at one point Alex like strikes this dude and notes that the guy didn't have any reaction, but when he comes to, he'll, you know, have a sore ear or wherever he just randomly whacked him. And inside the bar, there's a few new faces, mostly being other teens and some dressed up 20 and 30 somethings. Mm -hmm. Alex smacks him in the mouth after witnessing uh, that he made an obscene gesture towards a woman singing at the bar. And a small altercation goes down between Dim and Alex, but it's snuffed out by Pete. It, it just goes. It just goes to show that once again, Alex loves music, and here's Dim heckling the singer, and it makes Alex very pissed off. It's also interesting that Alex doesn't have like allegiance to anybody. Like this dude who he probably recruited to go out and wreak havoc with them. Even when he gets out of line, he doesn't have any problem doing what he wants to to straighten him out. He he can't conceive how the rest of his group conceives him. Like he just sees them pretty much as objects like he does with most people. After everything cools down, they agree to head home for the night and meet up again um, the night after. Alex heads home, taking note of random acts of vandalism and violence in the form of fresh graffiti and incapacitated people covered in blood. Um, mm. Just passing passing this stuff on the way home. Graffiti here, you know, mutilated person there, I guess. Yeah, While once again, to- just setting the environment of this terrible city that they live in it's it's a very dour life yes and not unlike saint petersburg in 1860 (laughs) this one's a lot more abstract yes absolutely while listening to bach he contemplates what he read at the uh house you know within the clockwork orange manuscript and wishes he'd maimed the homeowners more than he actually had. Uh, gross. Just, I, it's really hard, maybe not to get a read on this guy, but when you're reading the book, it, he just seems very jolly, but he's still just, without a doubt, I've only read a handful of books up to this point, but without a doubt, probably the most heinous narrator i've ever been introduced to in the story it kind of feels like if svidregliov was like the main character in crime and punishment because you know he yeah talks about some of his personal philosophies and stuff like that like it's interesting to see it from the point of view of the character that has no redeeming qualities whatsoever yeah yeah, that that is an interesting point. Like he he could be like a stone cold killer, but he's just like enjoying this stuff, and it's like it's just like uh, us going to the movies as teenagers playing or games. playing video games. Or he talks about this stuff with the same amount of passion, and it's just really disgusting. Waking up the next morning with no interest in going to school, um, Alex refers to himself as shagged fagged, fashed, bashed, and his glazies are still stuck together with sleep glue, which once again is, uh, glazies is what he refers to as eyes. Alex's parents, though skeptical, leave for their jobs, and we learn that in this society, every adult is required to work. 
Yeah. And once again, like, so uh, that, that aspect comes from like, like a, his experience, Burgess's experience in Russia. But you really see the, these writers lives bleed through into the story. Yeah, it's very interesting. And like I was saying earlier, it it doesn't say what kind of government it is, but not a good one. <laughs> no. Yeah. Alex has a dream about his droogs turning their backs on him and assaulting him. Hmm. Uh, with Georgie giving the orders and Dim carrying out the deed. Not it Dim. Is, it is then that he is awoken by the doorbell. The man on the other side of the door is PR Deltoid, Alex's correctional officer. So, you know, a bit of a parole officer kind of guy, I suppose. It's such an interesting name too, PR Deltoid. (laughs) Just just for anyone that didn't hear it quite goodly, PR Deltoid. That is absolutely a name. We're going to... We did our research on the word deltoid too. That is your uh, muscle in your shoulder. So, is it actually? Yeah, yeah. I knew. I know that I knew the word from somewhere, but I didn't know that it was your shoulder muscle. So I guess we might just we might as well just call him PR shoulder muscle from here on. <laughs> PR delts. PR shoulder boy. Shoulder oh yeah, man. there you go, delts. Now that you said it like that, I can picture like. Yeah, I got to go work on my quads and my delts. Yeah, so I don't know if it is implied that this guy is like a gym junkie, but maybe he, <laughs> he comes off as like definitely not in the movie. Um, uh, but maybe other, he comes can... off as a uh, just gym kind rat. of a... Yeah, or maybe like a grunt of sorts. But in the movie, I remember... The, so Alex is in his underwear and then... The PR deltoid enters the room and they both are sitting on the bed and then he just like starts tickling Alex or something. It was very weird. Huh. Yeah, very Whoa. weird. That doesn't happen in the book. Yeah. The weary man tells Alex to keep his nose clean. He says something along the lines of keep that handsome young proboscis out of the dirt, which Ooh. is certainly an interesting way to say words he's a mosquito of society as his deeds from the previous night have uh potentially been tied to alex and his gang the older man begins to question aloud how alex ended up the way he did with a good head on his shoulders and caring parents after pr deltoid leaves alex ponders his thinking aloud and and thinks to himself that a government that doesn't allow its citizens to do as they please take away for uh take away their rights as human beings, which is, once again, just a very topsy-turvy way. It's one thing if someone wants to paint their toenails or something like that, but Alex is uh, going a little above and beyond that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this whole metaphor is just obviously the most extreme way you can put it. I mean, of course. The another way you can put it is just like, I have the choice to not wear the mask, okay? No. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to breathe. Uh, yeah. Man, Come. these are these are going to be very interesting to listen to in five years. <laughs> yeah. Masks? <laughs> Why is everyone wearing masks, Dad? What happened? <laughs> Picking up the newspaper, Alex reads an article about the violent modern youth and how the parents and teachers' lack of discipline 
led to teens acting out in the way that, you know, the teens have, but specifically Alex. He also notes a headline from a preacher saying it is the devil's work. Either way, Alex likes the theory as it absolves him of guilt, seeing as he can blame his parents for his love of violence, which, I mean, I I wouldn't put it past him for thinking kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's... It's kind of interesting how like the work of the devil is in there because I mean that's something we saw with like the satanic panic in the late eighties and nineties and but this He's was written in the sixties. Yeah. The devil. Yeah. It's the work of the devil. Well, it might it's probably something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He also thinks back on an article about the arts pacifying the modern youth, and he thinks that's kind of crazy because he's always found that his love of music and his love of violence go hand in hand compared to him just loving the music and that kind of making him a little more cool headed, maybe, which which I mean, even up to this point, we know isn't the case. And it's also interesting because he you'd think he'd be listening to like mega death cannibal corpse but no he's listening to classical music like mozart like it's just a very interesting music taste to associate with violence he likes what does he call him sebastian bach he he has like some funny weird names for him or something like that he refers to him like they're old friends oh Oh, no (laughs) what is beethoven's full name ludwig ludwig van yeah, that's what he says. He's like listening to a little bit of Ludwig Vaughn uh, instead of, you know, the name that everyone would know him for. Or listening whatever, to my old boy, my old Drew Ludwig. Alex heads to a record store, notices that during the day there's like a heavier police presence and more uptight bourgeois type folk huh. running around in the streets during the daytime, which okay. I guess just shows that the night belongs to the youth. Yeah, wherever he is. Oh, well, like he was saying, I, uh, the night is young, even though yes. that's not the right context. But oh, in, wow. in his in his case, yes. Hey, that's an interesting way to think about it, though. Yeah. Well, at the record I'm gonna pat store, myself on the shoulder for that one. Hey, I wish that I could pat you on the shoulder right now, <laughs> but maybe if my arm was long enough to reach Germany, I would. Well, at the record store, Alex meets some young girls and brings them back to his home and assaults both of them. We've already talked about that, but it's a bit uncomfortable to discuss, and I'm leaving out some more of the, the details. details. Yeah. Yes. And but just this really, this is the end of chapter four, and it really caps off how awful this person is. You know, yes. after the girls leave his home, he dozes off while listening to the new record that he'd purchased at the record store where he'd met them now it's so i just watched the movie after reading the book and it's weird how the movie portrays this it is more of an orgy it seems um, more consensual like yes um wow. but yeah in the book it's definitely not the case maybe i'm misinterpreting the scene in the movie but it, it I know what seems you mean, like but that. yeah. In the book, he out and out sexually assaults two young children. Very violently, too. 
Alex gets out of bed late in the afternoon and finds his parents eating supper. Uh, telling them he's off to work, his father inquires where his job is and what he does for work. <laughs> Alex says, quote unquote, it's mostly odd things. Helping like <laughs> is, you know, that's his response to it, to okay. sate his parents and reminds them that either way you slice it, he never asks for money. So they should kind of just, you do your thing and I'll oh, do mine. Jeez. I, yeah, I, seriously. Yeah. So it's almost like the, his parents know that, okay, Alex, something a bit off of something. him. We're kind of scared of him. But at the same time, he's saying he's working at the Habitat for Humanity down the street. So yeah. he's, he's fine. He, he He's not asking us for money, which I'd imagine in this type of world is hard to come by and who's to say that his parents even believe word one of what he's saying you know what i mean it's kind of yeah. hard to interpret but they probably know something fishy is going on but they're just afraid of the sociopath that they live with yep his father tells him of a dream he had the night before involving alex beating him bloody in the streets by the type of crowd he'd run with before being sent to reform school because at this point, we learned that Alex was obviously getting into his old ways. You know, he must have gotten caught by someone and he was sent to a reformatory academy or however Which that would work. And worked out pretty well. And him and his dad. Yes, absolutely. Him and his <laughs> dad have the same dream too. Huh. him just getting beat by him and his boys, which is little foreshadowing. Yeah, perhaps. Alex gives his father a little bit of chump change that he'd probably stolen off someone the night before and tells mm -hmm. his dad to go out for a drink with his mom and not to worry about it. Some dirty um, money. Yes, absolutely. Stepping out of the building, Alex is greeted by his droogs when he gets to the street in front of the house and he can sense an obvious tension among oh. everyone. Weird. Can't imagine where this tension would be coming from. <laughs> Maybe slapping Dim, abusing him. <laughs> I don't know. Just being a bad boy in general, I think. Yeah. Georgie boy tells Alex his leadership of the gang isn't working out the way that they all want it to. And they'll be working with a more democratic approach from here on out. Because, you know, Alex has been calling the shots. No questions asked up to this point, And they're kind of saying democracy now. Yeah. And you you would almost think like, hey, good for them. But then you remember what they want the shots on calling. Alex plays along with the plan Georgie had set up. But upon hearing Beethoven through the window, Ludwig Vaughn, he's provoked into a fight with George. Uh, both of them draw their blades out. <laughs> it's almost like L Ludwig van Beethoven. He's Ultra writing violence. this... He, yeah, he's like writing this secret language, this demonic. <laughs> if you play it backwards, his record's backwards, it tells you, it tells Alex that he needs to knife people. But it, whenever he um, hears Beethoven, it's almost as if it triggers something in an Alex. Like, like we're saying, violence and music for him go hand in hand. Yeah, this just shows that he, he, loves, he loves both of those things and they kind of bounce off of each other. Even though there's no lyrics with like Beethoven, 
still when you play the record backwards it sounds like assault your friends <laughs> dim is a piece of shit you must slap him <laughs> george and alex get into fight both drawing their blades but they know each other's combat style very horror show like and uh dance around for a bit before alex catches george on the rooker with his britva which is basically he slashes his hand with his knife after george taps out dim takes his place clutching his trademarked length of bike chain which is what he uses for his assaulting weapon that he wears around his waist too i believe and Dim whacks Alex with with the bike chain, and Alex says that it stings like Bazumi, but (laughs) Dim is defeated when Alex catches his wrist with the same razor he had Uh. just uh, got George with. After beating two of the three, Alex challenges Pete, who declines and says he has nothing to do with trying to usurp Alex into this, like, democratic situation that the other two want the gang to go for yeah if if uh alex was like a julius caesar um he would be like if pete would have challenged or done this as well he'd been like a two brute like (laughs) (laughs) pretty much (laughs) yeah but actually though trying to smooth things over alex takes his boys out for a drink he can't afford since he gave all his money to his pnm (laughs) <laughs> but uh, agrees to George's plan for a robbery. And PNM is what he calls his Pa and Ma. Huh. And, and is that in Russian? Is I, that like the actual translation? He call or he refers to both of his parents as his P-E-E and E-M multiple times through the book. Huh. Very interesting um, uh, how in the language, though, that you can kind of distinguish which, e- e- which each one is. I really can't emphasize enough for anyone listening that this book is is just a great time to read yeah as far as the language goes not right not the violence the violence is a lot but like it's literally it's like reading a foreign language that is not you understand yeah yeah exactly and uh, an interesting scene in the movie that happens during this whole altercation is Alex dim is like sitting in this chair and Alex like straddles him and he's just kind of like challenging him. But it's just like the, this show of power as well, but not in the book. It's just, again, one of Kubrick's visions, right? The gang arrives at the house that Georgie had planned to rob and Alex tries to use his tried and true method of getting into the home by telling the homeowner that his friend is sick and dying out in the street. Just like I've he's heard done. that one. Yeah, honestly. Been there, done that, fella. That <laughs> won't work on me again. Yeah. Smelling something fishy, the owner of the home, an old lady, tells him she knows his trick and Ooh. she tells him to go on and get. <laughs> um. No, Which, no getting know, this ca- cat lady, this crazy cat lady. Switching to plan B, Alex gets Dim to boost him to a window above the door and he gains entrance into the house. Uh, once inside the house, Alex decides to do the job on his own as like an act of defiance because he kind of wants to show his boys that he doesn't need them mm-hmm. one way or the other, even though they're obviously essential. I don't know. Yeah, essential in his 
horrific plans. Yeah. The estate is found to be the home of obviously the old lady at the door, and she has more cats than you can count. Um, crazy cat well, lady, don't mess with them, man. I'm telling bit you. Of, bit of a crazy cat lady. Yes. While approaching to attack the woman, <laughs> Alex gets distracted by a bust of Beethoven <laughs> and slips on one of the mini milk saucers that the woman has provided for the cats. Which, okay, now see... I I don't find a whole lot of humor in this book, but it's kind of hard not to laugh at that. It's of like, course he get of course he gets distracted by Beethoven. I <laughs> uh, saw I saw the old bust of Ludwig von. Oh, oh my brothers, the sight that was to be pitied. Um, oh no, my brothers! Yeah, he just yeah, like walks to be into this room, and yeah, off to his right or whoever is this bust of Beethoven. He's about to like beat this woman, which isn't funny once again. But no, he just sees no, no, this, no, no, and no. he's like, "Oh wow!" And then like, <laughs> and then he puts his foot in one of the milk saucers. He's like, "Oh shit!" and falls to the the ground all, all and this whole time that it's going down there's like 20 cats like just running around on the floor <laughs> um just just a little break in the tension there for you <laughs> yeah. um things go from bad to worse when the old woman starts beating alex repeatedly with a stick um yeah. and alex manages to knock her off her feet but he steps on a cat, and the cat attaches itself to his leg, probably just ripping it to shreds with its teeth and claws. Which is kind of badass, because usually cats are, like, not like dogs, but they're acting like guard dogs at this point. Hey, man, honestly, I got no problem with it either. Yeah. Alex Alex slips on another saucer and is again attacked by the old woman who then calls for her cats to attack him. <laughs> <laughs> to him, my pretties. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Very so it's probably like Wizard a game of, of twist. Yeah. It's like a game of Twister where there's cats in one spot and then there's a saucer of milk in the other. So he's just like trying to avoid those. And then you got the, this boss that's like sending her cats on you. <laughs> so it's very hard. <laughs> To Alex's surprise, he's then swarmed by the room full of cats. Fed up in a rage, he hits the woman with a statue, and she hits the floor unconscious. Running to the front door, he hears police sirens and realizes the woman had actually called up the police after they'd tried to gain entry through him putting on his, like, sweet, childlike voice. Um, oh, yeah. But he had no idea because like, he was just he, he was so focused on breaking into the house. Right. And he's greeted by Dim on the other side of the door while his other boys are hauling off down the street. Uh oh. Trying to evacuate. Alex tells Dim the Rozes are coming and Dim tells Alex to stay behind to meet them. And uh, after Dim tells Alex this, he goes, And he whips Alex in the face with his bike chain and runs off after Georgie and Pete. Um, He's like, hey, guys, wait (laughs) Yeah. The police arrive and beat Alex around a bit while referring to him by name because they know of him and his little gang. And he's he's loaded up into the squad car and driven off, which I... 
I won't say that I enjoyed this specific segment of the book, but I mean, it's not like Alex is the worst candidate for, you know, being so, uh, what do they say, being thrown under the bus or, oh, you yeah. know, sold yeah. to the sharks. I don't think anyone's ever said that before, but I'll make it up right hey, now. <laughs> the slap that copyright on there. It's gold. Yes, sirree. (laughs) Obviously, this scene was funny. And the way this book is written, it's like a dark comedy. And it's kind of like one of the first, I don't want to say one of the first exploitation uh, genres, but it really kind of brought the exploitation films and books to where it is today. It's almost like a Tarantino film. It's like, just hard not to find a little bit of humor in a, an old lady calling a room full of cats to attack him. And then they do attack him. Yeah. And then, you know, you imagine him like doing the Scooby-Doo thing of like slipping on one saucer and then another. And there's yeah. like 15 of them and his foot lands perfectly in every one. And then uh, on the way before the police show up and beat the crap out of him, he steps on a rake. Oh, no. Ouch. Step on a rake that flings up into Zoinks. his face. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, almost like a bad Batman villain like that yeah. you'd see in the 1960s Batman TV show. Like, attack! Get him. During uh, an interrogation back at the, the police precinct, or however you'd refer to that, Alex demands a lawyer and is laughed at and punched in the stomach by one of the men interrogating him. Retaliating. Oof. Alex kicks a man in the shin and he is beaten until he sicks up on the floor, which pretty smart again, choice be, by Alex. Yes, absolutely. I'll be <laughs> I'll be reading more of his phrases off and describing them. But when he wants to puke, he refers to it as I'm going to sick, which uh, is very strange. Not his smartest move, but I can't exactly think with a good conscience that he's the smartest person ever. So I'm kind of surprised that he just kicked the, or I'm not surprised that he just kind of kicked the guy in the shin. Yeah. PR deltoid enters the room, uh, looking at Alex coldly. This is his parole officer that he'd previously bumped into. And the old man told Alex to try to keep his nose clean, which he obviously hasn't done. Otherwise he wouldn't be in this situation. No. Nope. After a promise to come see Alex again, he spits in his face. Oof. And the whole time, the men interrogating Alex are encouraging PR Deltoid to like beat him a little bit. They're like, yeah, go on. We've all been having a good time with him. Just give him a good bash in the chops. Yeah. Which, and it's pretty nasty. Like, sure, Alex is a bad character, but it also right. shows you that their police and law enforcement are not that great. Uh, and is heavily flawed and kind of a reflection of some cops in the, in society, unfortunately. Once again, I, I don't want to get too like serious or personal, but I don't personally believe that whatever someone has done, they don't deserve to be tortured to any extent. Just keep them locked away from society, you know what I mean? But, you know, it's kind of hard not to think, yeah, Alex had all this stuff coming, but it is also... Um, wholly unnecessary now that they have him in their grips you know what i mean well yeah and it's just like in watchmen uh, bring up watchmen again but i thought this quote is relevant but it's just like the quote who watches the watchmen like who's 
who's uh enforcing who's to keep the law the big on, dogs in check yeah it's just like the show the boys as well like who's watching these superheroes like in this case it's the cops like they have no accountability or anything i don't want to get too off track here but have you watched the boys yes yep and would you that sounds kind of like watchmen only the boys is like a little more goofy or whatever a little bit more abstract yeah a little bit they're like the boys are uh i mean that show is a little more kind of goofy or whatever i guess but yeah they kind of do the same thing the superheroes are like the baddies they're i mean they're not only the bad guys but it's also kind of hard to keep them in check because if you try to handcuff the guy he'll break the handcuffs and then chop you break you yeah (laughs) yeah yeah alex wipes away the spittle that the old man just bestowed upon his face and profusely thanks him and uh pr deltoid exits the room without another slavo another word yeah okay and i i remember in the in the film like this actually happened but the spit lands right on his lips and it's just hanging on there for like 10 seconds before he wipes it away and it was just like ah i remember that very vividly icky yeah while being forced to make a confession alex makes sure to name drop his boys that being dim georgie and paul while detailing all their happenings and crimes from the last 24 hours including the assault and rape of the man and his wife and the bum on the streets and then the convenience store owners. And now I know you don't like it when I get topical, but I, Mm. I want the same thing to happen with Ghislaine. I want all the names to be dropped. I want no stone unturned. Well, we'll see. At least, you know that I don't prefer to get topical. That's all I can ask for. Alex is then thrown into a holding cell populated by various drunks and other wretches fighting off two separate men who just try to sexually assault him right off the bat. Yeah. Alex is Alex is able to get some sleep before being woken up and taken into an office where the quote unquote where a quote unquote top Millicent tells Alex the old woman died after his assault on her and the after learning the news alex's final quote for part one of the book is and me still only 15 what 15 he is a young man Oh my gosh. Um, so, and I had a couple slip ups. Lucas wanted to keep that under wraps for a while, but I, I'm, I'm going to go back and edit it out. But there's a couple times where I already mentioned his age, but hopefully that kind of throws you off. And yeah, he's a very young dude doing these very disgusting uh, crimes. I just wanted to save the big reveal for the end because I know that's good. I remember wondering as I read through it, I was wondering, how old is this person? He's living with his parents, but, you know, I know 25-year-olds living with their parents. Yeah, because, like, age 15, I mean, I was playing Crazy. Minecraft. I'm, I'm sure you were playing Minecraft. I was just kind of living. I was 
working to get my driver's license and uh yeah i wasn't doing any of this um so it's really crazy for the amount of violence this kid has and just kind of the journey he's gonna take here and with that we cap off the first of three parts for a clockwork orange by anthony burgess Mm -hmm. i had a lot of fun reading this one out anyone listening at home may recall after you know nine hours of listening to cole read the outline out and me just stepping in that we've completely switched roles here but i think it's actually been a very exciting change yeah yeah no not just because i like the sound of my own voice (laughs) and uh you know it's the beginning of the podcast so it'd be pretty um i don't know i i didn't really want to solidify that oh yeah i'm gonna narrate all this you know we we want to change some things up here and i think just the amount of um passion you have for this book reflects that so well thank you very much and if i may say so to um you're stepping in when you had something to comment on uh, was very thought provoking as well. There's obviously a lot to think about reading through this book, but it's, it's really nice to just break it down in a nice, simple form, but still give out the whole story. And we've obviously detailed all the awful things that this young man has got himself into. And there's a lot of moral questions that come with it. And a lot of, you know, just different things to think about through reading or listening to it. But um, yeah, it's a very good read and it's very interesting. Yeah. If you can, now this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy, but if you can like not think this book is glorifying violence and rape. Um, I never thought that once, by the way. No, but I, like, I mean, I mean for people, people think that. Yeah. For, I, I feel like it mostly stems from the movie, to be honest. Oh, like, I could see that. Yeah, because once that stuff is stuff is visualized, like it's very well, it's disturbing. Yeah, like the 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 main theme of this, it was mentioned earlier, and Alex was thinking to himself with that article about like, you know, society and if it's bad, if bad people make choices. Like that that's kind of that's the overall theme of this book, and it's only gonna be explored further. But for anyone that's like, oh, what the heck is this book about? Like, all we've seen is a bunch of, like, disgusting acts. Like, that's what it's going to be about is just kind of, like, exploring human choices and what is right and wrong and how should the government um, almost decide that? Like, should they limit that choice? And dropping back on your thoughts of visualizing something and seeing that as more of a glorification of it, um i assume that the book also launched it or the movie sorry launched it much more into the mainstream oh yeah like so that people would also maybe if they went back to the book they'd even think how is someone writing this kind of stuff but it's very i don't want to say it's very obvious but you know alex isn't made out to be like some sweet kid no not at all and I remember reading in Burgess's biography, and I think I mentioned it when we were talking about him, but he said he he was completely, thank you, um, but he was completely blindsided by all of the hatred towards this film. I mean, it was 
I'm pretty sure the it was rated X lost. for some time. The film. Oh. And oh, so okay. when, when the film came out, like I'm sure I'm sure it was banned in the UK. Um, it was really controversial if you were not a, co- a college student at the time. It was um, on the video nasties list. I what, what is that? Have you ever back in like I think the seventies or eighties? They would. I mean, they were banning all sorts of movies, whether it was like um, regular violence or sexual type themes and stuff like that. So. England or the UK, I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone by not knowing the difference. <laughs> they uh, made up a list of their banned movies, and the name for the list was The Video Nasties. The Video Nasties, huh. Which okay. is a really weird way to put two words together. Yeah, very interesting. And um, before we like talk about anything else, I hope we handled these subjects in a an appropriate way and didn't like seem like we were coming off as like enjoying the some of these scenes so hopefully we handled these appropriately even though there is comedy sprinkled throughout here but we did we don't want point fun at like any of the violence no and i mean while this is a very fun read and it was really exciting to uh, read it off like that i will say the only part that i technically enjoyed was him slipping in the saucers (laughs) and being caught up by the beethoven bust and being attacked by the cats otherwise i just wanted to be i mean it should be obvious because i think that we sounded serious enough talking about it but we don't find any humor in any violence or anything like that yeah too much milk Um, in here i tell you too much milk now, yeah. Cole, buddy, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to spew before we wrap up this boy? I got out everything um, I wanted, so I am excited to cover part two. Absolutely. Um, it'll dive more into the main theme, and this was the hardest part to get through as far as violence and rape. The next sure. few parts have disturbing scenes, but there's not as much going on with that stuff so if you could make it through this one i i am pretty sure you can make it through the next two parts Alrighty, very well said um go ahead and follow us on instagram at the bad apple book club send us a message or something like that if you'd be so kind maybe you want us to read it out over here i know that i've listened to plenty of podcasts where they tell you to do the same stuff they say hey how hard is it to rate this? And then you still don't. But why don't you just make an exception? And that's coming from someone that would do the smallest amount of work in life to get by if I could. And I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our listeners. I won't say his name out just because I forgot to ask if he even wanted us to read this out in the first place. But they go by the initials JB. And uh, let me just say... It I is can't the JB you're thinking about. <laughs> I, I can't get enough of that baby song. Um, uh, not going to name names, but he sent us, Hey guys, finished listening to the finale of Crime and Punishment and felt the need to say congrats. Can't wait for what the future holds. Stay rad. Go team Resumian. Um, thank you very much, JB, for that wonderful message. Of course, we've had a few friends tell us um, that they've listened to it and that they've enjoyed it. But knowing someone 
has actively been listening and messaging us like that just it does the heart good we appreciate all the support like it's it's been awesome and um I've been yeah. having a good time. We, we only have like 30 followers on Instagram. So, I mean, if you want to discuss some of this stuff, like just just message us. Like we would love to discuss your questions or anything you bring up on the podcast. So maybe you again. need life advice. You <laughs> couldn't come to two better people. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> podcasters, there's some podcasters that work on self-help, but um, uh, let's stick hey, to man. the books. <laughs> oh, alrighty. Um, I can I can tell you how to cut a rug. I don't know. I was hoping I could come up with something a little better, but hey, I love to dance. <laughs> um, alrighty. Uh, once again, Thank you to everyone out there listening. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be coming with two more parts of this series, and then we'll be launching into our next book. And uh, Cole just wanted to say once again, great job on the write-up. Good episode and good recording. Yeah. Job well done. Job well done. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. All righty, everyone. Thanks for listening and have a nice day or evening.